0: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald. I am a PhD trauma researcher and a life coach, and it's my goal in life to change the way that we define and understand and treat trauma. Here's why. Trauma is not actually a sign of weakness or disorder. It's a biological response born of strength. Without it, we would not survive. So I think the first step towards healing is being able to see this so that we can stop shaming ourselves for being human. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal. We bring together my research with our lived experiences so that we can all better understand and cope with trauma. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee and join us. Okay, this is episode track. Sorry, 15, fifteen. Weaponizing your trauma. That's what we're going to talk about today. We have a little bit of business, just stuff from last time. A little rewind um, before we get started.
1: Yes, I um, thank you. I brought up the um, documentary, docu drama, mini series from Netflix, and the name of it is When They See Us. And um, it's from 2019, and it was created, co-written, and directed by Ava DuVernay. Mm. Um, And it talks about the 1989 Central Park jogger case and explores the lives and families of the five Black male suspects who were falsely accused, then prosecuted on charges related to the rape and assault of a white woman in Central Park, New York City. Um, And this was critically acclaimed It was, um, I watched it in the beginning of the um, pandemic and I was talking about it last week because it's so um, difficult to watch and so frustrating and um, just so unbelievable that this kind of stuff happens frequently. So that's why I referenced it. I just wanted to explain it a a little bit further. And they also, Oprah Winfrey did a um, special On Netflix and on her own network which came out um, in June of 2019 and she interviewed um, the cast and the creator and the exonerated five men are um, also interviewed and it was super powerful to see where they are now and what that experience did to their lives so check it out if you can it's uh, like I said it's a tough watch it's um but I felt like it was important to see, and I, I wanted to give credit where credit was due. So, thank you.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. We'll check that out. The thing, the movie that I was talking about, I did. I don't think I remember the director's name. Um, last week, it's called The Tale. Again, just an FYI. If you, it's 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 a difficult watch, but the um, the director and and the person who wrote it, screenplay, uh, is Jennifer Fox, and it is streaming on. I can't remember what Netflix. I think, and it was it was really good. It was from 2018. There's also a lot of articles about it. Um, so if you're interested in it, but you're not sure you want to watch it, you can check, just Google her name, Jennifer Fox, and it's called The Tale. I'm going to watch that this week. That sounded really good. It's really, it's the the idea, like the the thing that I, I can't stop thinking about is the way that we shift our memory when time goes by and we sort of like re-remember, you know? Yeah. In different ways. And it's important to like check in with that and see what that, what that's doing.
1: Yeah. The impact of that potential impact of that.
0: Absolutely. Okay. We have an exciting
1: letter this week. (laughs) We do. Uh, this letter is from, is there another way? And, um, it begins dear trauma tapes. I'm actually writing you with writing to you with someone else's story. I hope that's okay. The person is my girlfriend, and this question isn't really about helping her with her trauma exactly, but with the way that her trauma is impacting the rest of her life. When I met my girlfriend four years ago, she was a sweet and really happy girl. There was so much that she loved in the world. Her life wasn't perfect, but she was really happy with her job, her group of friends, and the life that she had created for herself. She still has that job and that life, but instead of being happy, she's enraged almost all the time and has been cutting out most of her friends one by one, all for basically the same reason. She claims they do not support her enough emotionally and they do not understand her trauma. Here's the thing, and I really don't want to sound judgmental, but I don't think any of us really understand what trauma she's talking about. About two years ago, my girlfriend started following a lot of self-help accounts on social media, and she was reading things about trauma and abuse. She got really into it and started to reflect back on her life and childhood and her friendships. I wasn't there, but it sounds like she had a pretty normal childhood for the late 70s and 80s. Her parents got divorced when she was tiny, and they both worked, so her and her sister were latchkey kids. Both parents got remarried and stayed in those relationships, and miraculously, everyone basically gets along, even now. They didn't struggle financially or anything, and there was no physical abuse or neglect. Her and her sister sort of get along, but they have definitely had periods in their lives where they didn't. And while my girlfriend is usually pretty calm, her sister can be really abrasive and a little aggressive. She's a really sensitive person and really could have benefited from parents who were a little bit more available and didn't have to work so much. She also could have had some help with her sister who probably took advantage of her quiet nature and bullied her a little bit. I'm not doubting that her experience was difficult at all, but the thing is, instead of bringing healing, this realization that she might have had some trauma in her past seems to be doing the opposite of healing. She spent the last year having really difficult conversations with some people in her life that didn't actually seem to be about making things better, but making those friends feel worse. She identifies all of these people in her life as her abusers. And she gets even more enraged when they don't admit that they have all been abusing her. They don't see their behavior as abusive at all. And honestly, I don't either. So when she accuses them of this, they just end up feeling really hurt. And then she has more evidence that no one supports her. Since they don't validate her right away, she then cuts them out of her life entirely. I don't want to suggest that I don't believe her or that I don't support her decisions. Every time this has happened, I have listened and helped her think about how to share her feelings with these people. I have had people I have had to cut out of my own life before. So I am in support of whatever decision she decides to make. But as I watch her go through this process over and over again, I'm getting worried that she is going to start to regret her decisions and that when she does, it will be too late. I'm especially worried because the newest target of her rage is her father, who has been a really important person in her life. They have had a really close relationship for her whole life. Her complaint is that he was not supportive enough when she was growing up. He worked a lot and often couldn't make it to after-school events and recitals during the week. My girlfriend happens to be an artist and she has really struggled to make a place for herself in the art world. She is now blaming her struggle on her father's lack of support and she plans on confronting him about this to name him as one of her abusers too. She has decided that he is a covert narcissist because he left his first marriage and has had a career that he loved and that he doesn't care about her. Every time I try to talk to her about it, if I suggest that she do something different, she immediately rages at me and wonders out loud if I will end up being one of her abusers too. I'm wondering if there's something that I could suggest to her so that she can process some of her emotions without burning down all of these important relationships in her life. I know that it's important to be able to express your anger, but has this gone too far? signed, is there another way?
0: <laughs> this is when I wish this was a TV show and not a podcast. <laughs> See Lisa's face. I can't even look at you. Okay. So let's get the, um, let's let, I don't even want to ask you what you think yet. Cause we'll get to this. Please don't. <laughs> okay. So let's there's, there's four things that I want to make sure that we talk about just to kind of like structure what will, I'm sure, be a very fired up discussion that we're about to have. Um, one is the concept of weaponizing your trauma, um, coercive telling, which we need to talk about. This is a thing, nonviolent communication, and over-identification with trauma. Those are all super important. There's, I'm sure, side things that are going to come up that are also important, but those I want to make sure we hit those four for sure. And I also just want to say that, like, okay, so the letter writer is not the person who lived through the thing. And so we know only what the letter writer says. We don't know the experience of the person who went through this trauma. So nothing that we're about to say is meant to dismiss the idea that she might have trauma that she hasn't identified or hadn't, hasn't talked about or that the letter writer hasn't shared with us, right? Like, we are not in the business of shaming somebody for having experienced trauma. But what's going on here? is what i'm referring to as weaponizing your trauma and it is a real thing and it's super important to talk about and i'm really glad that the letter writer wrote in because it's um it's something that i'm seeing much more often lately and it's uh that suggests there's a trend and when there's a trend we need to figure out where it's coming from and how to deal with it so what do you think
1: um you know that i have had personal experience with this kind of Mm -hmm. person who weaponizes their trauma. So this sets me off on all kinds of levels in all kinds of ways. And I guess I need to understand more about it because I, it just, it puts me in a place where I, um, get really angry and, um, feel really misunderstood because of what's happened in my own life. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just find it ironic that someone who's accusing everyone else of abusive behavior is abusing people themselves. Mm -hmm. So again, I I probably need to learn more and understand more and be a little more empathetic and understanding, but I, I have been in these shoes of this letter writer And it feels awful. It feels like you're walking on eggshells and you're being attacked all the time. And, you know, when she makes a a veiled threat of, I wonder if you'll be one of my abusers too, like uh, that, just the hair on the back of my neck stands up. So forgive me, I'm coming at this from a very personal place having gone through it. And um, it makes me want to run out of the room. Just us a sip of water. <laughs> it makes me want to run out of the room, like swearing <laughs> and cursing mm-hmm. people under my breath because it's so goddamn unfair. You know, it's really unfair to treat people this way, whatever you've been through in your life. Yeah. You know, in my own therapeutic journey, I, I remember asking my therapist a long time ago, when is someone's shit too much? When is someone's baggage too much to handle? And she said very wisely to me when it gets in the way of common courtesy.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: And I, I've always hung on to that. And if, um, someone's stuff, it gets in the way of them treating me like a human being, yeah. then I'm out, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yes. sorry, I apologize. It's a strong reaction and, um,
0: no, don't apologize. I think it's really important. And I think we can't, we, I think a lot of people, so here's the thing, right? Like, And this has been such an interesting thing for me to watch. So when I started, I I know I've said this before, but when I started researching trauma, um, everyone told me not to because they said, you know, trauma is not real and nobody cares about it. This is a dying thing. You're never going to get a job. Nobody's ever going to listen. Like, it's just, what are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it has gone from that place where it was like in the darkness, underneath the rug, in the dust, in the back of the basement to like to becoming a real piece of uh, social currency yeah. to have had trauma is to be legitimate in a way that allows you to elevate yourself over people who have not. Right. And that is really problematic. Right. Like that. Yeah. And not just because it's, it's, as you point out, and I think this is really important. Like nobody has a right to be unkind it doesn't matter what you've been through, right? We wouldn't say like, oh, you've been physically abused. So it's okay for you to be physically abusive. Of course not. Why is it okay to be psychologically abusive? Right. Right? And the kind of language that the letter writer is, is explaining that his girlfriend is using is violent. It is violent. And that's, um, that's really important to note, right? That just because you have had abuse doesn't mean you have a right to be abusive at all. So you, you don't get to, to hold up the trauma card and say, you know, what I'm about to do is going to hurt, but I have trauma, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. that you know, feels know.
1: awful. That feels yeah. awful to be on the receiving end of it. And it it has to, it's just, it's bad. It's, it's a bad situation that we're, that we're in that we're, you know, comparing trauma in order to get away with bad behavior.
0: But it's even, it's even bigger than like comparing we're enacting it. So this is the term. So Jonathan Shea in the, in like 1991, I I believe he coined this term. It's in his book, Achilles in Vietnam. He um, coined this term coercive communalization, which is when the victim enacts the traumatic events instead of telling them and turns the listener into a victim. Okay. So if I'm going to tell you about something terrible that happened there's a way in which, and I think like there's a, there's kind of a, a small way that we do this all the time when, when, when our emotions are unprocessed and unchecked, you know, and you get like fired up because someone cuts you off in the car and you come home and you yell at whoever's around. And there, it's like, why are you yelling at me? Like you could tell me this and I could support you in a way that doesn't involve you turning me into the person who is in that situation with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, non-coercive communalization is when the person shares the event with a community for the goal of like being heard and, and for the goal of healing, you know? And it sounds like that what the letter writer is pointing out, pointing out that is kind of disturbing him about his girlfriend's behavior is that she does not seem to be, she doesn't seem to have the goal of healing. She seems to have the goal of hurting, right? I want you to feel as bad as I did. That's never okay. You you get to be angry, you get to have your rage, you don't get to inflict somebody, inflict it on somebody.
1: She seems to be trying to systematically push everyone away.
0: Right. And like let's let's talk about that. Where is that coming from? If you're pushing everyone away. So this is this is again, this is gonna sound, it could potentially be misinterpreted that we are saying that she doesn't really have trauma. That's not true at all. Um, But just because you have trauma doesn't mean you have a license to hurt other people. And if you are in a position where you're burning your life down, burning all of your bridges, not just one or two because of very good reasons, but all of them, um, then I think it's really, it's a good moment to kind of pause and look at where that's coming from is it the case that none of your relations feel secure? And if so, why, right? What's going on there? There's a lot there that's potentially like really important, especially it sounds like she had kind of never done this before. And then all of a sudden, you know, started doing this because she got, you know, and again, like the idea that social media played a role here, it makes me suspicious too, because is there a therapist involved? Is there real education or is it just, you know, picking up sound bites on Instagram and then reacting and building your life around that? Because the people on Instagram could be right or wrong, but that way of building is fundamentally unstable. Yeah. And it's not sustainable, you know? Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm just rambling. So what is going on there and why, why is she burning thing? Why is she burning all the things down? I would be willing to bet that on some level she feels as if she's never been heard or seen. And and this is a cry for help and she needs to be heard and seen by someone in a way who is going to hold them accountable and not simply give you license to behave badly. Right? Right. So in a way when she's pushing on her partner and saying like are you going to become one of my abusers too? Like that's like a, she's pushing on a on a button. Yep. And I think part of her unconsciously probably wants him to be like, what the hell are you talking to? That's not okay. Don't talk to me like that. If you have a, a legitimate concern about the way that I'm behaving, communicate that in a way that I can hear, not in this veiled threat that then puts this relationship, changes this relationship into a hostage situ- situation.
1: Yeah. What are you supposed to do with that phrase? What, I mean, what, what do you do? If someone says that to you, you
0: know. Freeze. That's what you're supposed to do. It's like a test, right? But it's like, it's, I want you to feel frozen. Like I felt frozen. I am coercing you. I'm enacting my trauma so that you feel it. And I don't have to be alone in it. I'm bringing you down with me. Yeah. It doesn't sound like she has a professional involved and she needs one or a few, right? Because what is going on here is really important. And if you're listening, first of all, if you're listening and you're worried, this is you, you're, this is probably not you because if you're worried, it's you, it's probably not you. Right. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're burning down more than one relationship at a time and continuing to be misunderstood about why that's something to look at, take it to a professional, bring it into the light, figure out how to talk about it with someone in a non-judgmental way. Right. That's, that's all really important. Why is it so important that you need this social currency at this moment? You know, it's super interesting. Like I talk about, um, Whenever I talk about lying, people get people instantly like have an opinion about lying, obviously, because we don't want to be lied to and it's uncomfortable. And we can all think about moments that we've been betrayed um, and how, how hurtful that was. But when you're seeing a client or a, when a clinician is clinician, yeah, what's wrong with my words today? I had too much coffee. I'm talking too fast. Um, when a clinician sees a uh, client who is lying and they get caught in the lie, it's not about shaming them for lying. It's about figuring out what's behind it because whatever's behind the lie is the real thing that needs to be addressed. You know? Yeah. I'm trying to think of like a quick example of that. I mean, it happens a lot. I think I've talked about this before, but sometimes um, soldiers will get caught exaggerating uh, details from combat. And people are like, why are you lying? You're unethical. What are you trying to do? You're trying to manipulate me. There's all of this judgment instantly thrown in their face. And it's, it's, what's actually more important and interesting is to say, what are you trying to communicate that can't be communicated through the truth? Mm. Because that's the thing that needs to be addressed. That's the source. Is it yeah. fear? Is it what, you know, there's something relational going on with this person where all of her relations are turning to rage. And what is that about? So I guess when you say, like, if you think you're this person or you feel
1: yourself, you know, if you're afraid of this, I guess, you know, look for a pattern. If you find yourself continuing to be in the same situation Mm -hmm. repeatedly, Mm -hmm. you have to figure out what's the common denominator.
0: Right. What and, and and it could the common denominator might be complicated, but it involves you and your involvement. Right. And so, how are you participating in that dynamic? Which does not mean the same thing as how are you to blame or at fault. Right. But how are you participating in it? Are you not, you know, it could be anything. Are you not making your boundaries clear? Are you whatever, you know, how are you participating? Again, that doesn't mean it's your fault, but like what, what, and I'll, and by the way, like if, If you're reaching back to fourth grade to find a pattern, it's probably not a pattern. (laughs) Two things is not a pattern, right? So like seven things right in a row in the last six months, that's a pattern. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not to put a number on
1: it, but. And he also says that, you know, she was, her personality has changed. Right. That she was a happy person. And now she's, you know, enraged. Mm -hmm. That's a big shift. Yeah. You know, if you find yourself pissed off, yeah. Actively pissed off. Yeah. Most of your waking hours, you know, get some help.
0: Right. Right. All the time at nothing at everything and nothing, you know? Right. And again, like that's the, the, that's not to dismiss the feeling. It's actually to address it. If you're angry all the time, I mean, there could be like uh, there's a couple red flags here that this could be something else entirely. Right. A big personality shift is a big flag that you need to go, you know, get blood work done and see a professional, something's going on. It could be this stuff on Instagram, or it could be, you know, it could, it could be a lot of things.
1: I think we need to be very discerning about where we spend our mental energy. And, you know, if you start exploring things that don't feel good, or don't make you feel good, or, or cause you to act out like this, you know, we are exposed to so many different things yeah. in a way that we have never been exposed. And, the, the, you know, she's, she grew up in the late 70s and the 80s. So she's not a kid, you right. know, she, she's older. So this is, we just have to be you have to be very discerning about what you let in. Yeah. On all of these devices with all of these ways that things can get in now that weren't able to before.
0: We also this is I'm I'm writing a note I mean, I think you're totally right. And I think like one thing is that we, we, we act as if we have no control over this and we do, you have a control, you have control over your Instagram feed, over how much time you spend on social media, who you follow, who you mute, what things you click on. Like that's in your wheelhouse. You can, you can change that experience. You can stop reading mainstream news and read positive news. You can follow Instagram bunnies and George on TikTok. Like we talked about last week. Right. Or you can connect to people who you know will make you angry. And then the question there is, why are you tapping into that energy source? But I have to, I have to, I have to talk about something. This is, this is, we have to be careful here, but like there, a lot of the language that we're experiencing now around trauma is new to most of us. And we need to make sure that we're not going back into our past and ascribing emotional experience that wasn't actually there.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So in the seventies and eighties, most kids were latchkey kids. Right. And so now that would be in many places in the U S at least that would be kind of outrageous to have your kids like just, you know, let left to their own devices with a set of keys and, you know, they can figure out dinner on their own, but that was how things were and there are people who may have experienced that as deeply traumatic or neglectful or there there might have things there might have been other things that were happening when the parents weren't home that were problematic but not every latchkey kid experience equals neglect and we need to make sure the way to figure it out yourself is to look back and say okay did you feel overwhelmed at the time or are you looking back and adding that into your memory? Because it's really important that you figure that out before you burn down your relationship with your entire family, you know? Yeah.
1: Is that helpful at all to go try to go back into, I mean, is that even possible? Can you go back into the past
0: and figure out how you felt then? I mean, mate, like I'm trying to think of good examples here. And I'm like at a loss this morning for some reason, but like, there i mean okay so let's think about like a more extreme example right like so sexual harassment as a term didn't didn't exist until Anita Hill right so if it was the 70s which was like eight, 1980 something yep. yeah or something like that um and yep. so if you if you were a woman in the workplace in the in the 70s or the early 80s you may have experienced something that was really overwhelming and traumatic where you felt really stuck right? Your boss is sort of like harassing you and like giving you weird massages and making comments. And you feel really like you can't make a move because you're, you know, kind of stuck in that. And there was no language for it to explain your experience then. And that may have then affected the choices you made about your career in the future. It might've kept you from certain career paths. It might've affected your relationships with men, like, the way that you saw the world that's important because your emotional experience, which was overwhelming, which you didn't have language to, to help you process then seeped into your life and is probably still present in the moment right now. Okay. Um, so that's, I think, helpful to go back and be like, okay, hold on. Like the, so that was harassment. There was an unequal power dynamic. I felt stuck and oppressed And, and I, it eroded my sense of trust in the world. And that's important to understand and categorize so that I can put it away and participate in my life right now in a way that is more full. But I don't think we have to go searching for those things, you know? And I think like we, to go back and say, I have trauma from this and I have trauma from that. And I have trauma from that. Like, what is that about? Why do we this sounds, and again, we don't know her experience, but this sounds like it is purely destructive. It doesn't sound like she's coming to a place of like understanding that's helping her move through um, barriers for herself.
1: Yeah. Or, or yes. And like you said earlier, from from the information that we have here, there's either a really big part missing
0: mm-hmm.
1: that she hasn't been able to get to Or identify Mm -hmm. or she, like you just said, is on a really destructive journey because, you know, and again, this sounds terrible. We don't know what happened, but simply being a latchkey kid where both of your parents had to work Mm -hmm. and didn't go to all your events, which you find me five kids that grew up in the late seventies and eighties, whose parents went to all of their events because I don't know anyone whose parents were able to go to all of your right. events. You know, that's a fairly new yeah. way of living. Right. Could you say you felt lonely,
0: you know? Oh, a hundred percent. And that's like, that's the thing that I, if this was my client, that was, that is what I would, so I would say two things. Number one, what is your intention when you have these conversations? Because when you call someone an abuser, you're burning the bridge. It's a, it's we'll-
1: a, that's such a, that's such a, like a bullet. Like, it's just, yeah, that's a
0: terrible thing to say to somebody. Well, and it's, it's, but then even then, like it, unless they were right. (laughs) So there's a, there's a situation in which you might say to somebody, you were an abuse, and this might be really empowering and an important part of your healing. You were my abuser. You made me lose my relationship with myself. You affected me for years because of your own selfish needs and desires. Go fuck yourself. Those are yeah. violent words that are, that are violent intentionally, and they might be empowering. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but we have to understand their power and use them discriminatingly. Right. Like yeah, to say to your, you, why couldn't you communicate? So that, so that would be the first thing. Like, what is your intention? Do you want to burn this bridge? Uh, because it will burn the bridge and, and that's an okay thing to want, but let's like talk about that because you can't unburn it, you know, unless there's tons of repair on the other side, but that's, that's another thing. Um, And the second thing is, is there another way, if you don't want to burn the bridge, is there a way you could communicate this where you could actually then have a conversation that might bring healing to you both? Right. So you could say to your father, you know, I was a sensitive kid. I was trying to do these artistic things. I needed you around. I needed your approval. I needed your support in this way that you didn't provide. And that's, and I'm struggling with that even now as an adult, right? You could say that in a way where your father then can say, oh my God, I had no idea. I, you know, I am so sorry. Here's what I was thinking at the time. And here's where my priorities were. And here's how I saw you. And I didn't think you needed my approval because you were doing so well or whatever. You don't know what's going to be on the other side of that conversation. But when you're telling someone, when you're, when you're labeling someone, you know, you're a narcissist, you're an abuser. That's that better be all you want out of that conversation because it's more than likely that you won't get anything else back. Yeah.
1: Why should you, if you're going to be name calling and diagnosing yeah. people I, you know and as far as we know she doesn't have a degree right <laughs> so who are you to be doing this right, right. that's another like side effect of of all yeah. of this stuff that we all run around diagnosing each other yeah and let me and tell you you have no like,
0: right to do that right people who spend 15 20 35 years in the business of diagnostics with multiple degrees and tons of experience still get it wrong yeah. so Just because you found a term that you like on Instagram doesn't mean you can throw it around like a sword, right? You don't know how to use that. And if you're wrong, you've just caused some pretty irreparable damage. And there, like, so this is the other thing, like, where's the both and right. This is the biggest red flag for me in this, in this is all the black and white. Mm Mm-hmm that's an indication of something else right like and i don't know what it is and you know but there but there's no gray right there's no oh my friends you know were trying to support me but they didn't understand this facet of my experience or my parents did the best that they could and i didn't get everything that i needed how can i get that as an adult how can i communicate that to them so we can have a more authentic relationship right like there's no both and here and there there is both and in the world And so if all you're seeing is black and white, that's, that's a sign that, that there's a lot you're probably not seeing and you might need help to see it.
1: The both and is where the grace is, right? You know, and if we run around name calling and diagnosing and blowing up relationships, Mm -hmm. then we will not be granted the grace that Mm -hmm. we hope that we deserve, Right. If we're unable to grant it to other people. And what about the idea that if you're missing something in your life that you didn't get, why don't you become the vehicle to give that to people that you have relationships with? Yeah. Why don't you stop saying I didn't get this and start to give what you didn't get? Right. That's a great point.
0: Which also, Um, by the way, then connects to the hope circuit, which will then cause healing on a neurobiological level kindness towards others is healing cruelty never is
1: i would like to believe about trauma about my own trauma that it has made me a kinder person yes it would be very devastating if it made me angry mm-hmm. and rachel mm-hmm. and mean mm-hmm. that's that's just yeah that would be devastating
0: And listen, like anger has a, has a place, you know, I'm thinking suddenly about the letter writer from last week, right? You, you can be angry at your father when your father has abused you. Like that is totally legitimate.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, and you can feel then complete cold indifference. And that is called for
1: that's a
0: burn. That's a bridge you stand on the edge of and you say, you're an abuser. That is all you are. Nothing you did was okay. Yep. I'm out of here, you know? Yeah. I need um, the kerosene and the match because it's right. over. But yeah. even then you still can't move into that anger because it's not a good place to live. Right. You know, like that, that, that anger deserves a moment. It doesn't deserve your whole life.
1: Anger can be the energy to, to make changes sometimes. Right. But it's not a place to.
0: Or to get um, empowerment or, you know, right. whatever, but yeah, it's not a place to move, to live. Right you can't live your whole life from there. It's not, that's too precarious. And I, I honestly, like, there's going to be an argument that, well, if I can't use these words, then I'm not communicating my truth, which is, I just think wrong. Right. That's like saying, I remember I had a grad professor (laughs) who said to me, let me, let me try to remember the exact words. I, she didn't understand how I had gotten this far. I didn't deserve to be in grad school at all. I was in my second advanced degree at the time. Um, I was philosophically uninteresting, uh, a whole bunch of shit, right? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and I, was, I, I thought I was like, geez, you know, and I, I brought my work to some people that I knew better and trusted more and said, like, you know, is this really, is this accurate? Like, should I be thinking of a different career path? Like, where, where are we at here? I got very constructive feedback back from the people that I trust. Here's, here's where you could use some work. Here's what's going well. Here's what's, you know, a problem. Totally acceptable. Non-violent, like your, your communication never needs to be violent, you know? Like, and, and I remember having, I I went back to that professor and I was like, look, you can't treat people like this. They're going to drop out of school. Like, luckily I have relationships with other people where that I trust. So I can like check with them, but you're going to sink people. And that's not okay. And the response was, well, I, there's no other way to effectively communicate criticism.
1: That's bullshit.
0: It's bullshit. And again, there's, there might be a moment in your life where it is very empowering and important to call someone an abuser, but is it always,
1: I, I feel badly that I called her an abuser. I'm sorry. I'm no, calling don't. The, the person in my life an abuser.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, it is abusive behavior, right? Like it's it abusive is, behavior. Yes. yes. And and at that moment, that person is being an abuser. And that, again, that's like, that is relevant. If you're, if, and, and if you, if you talk to clinicians that deal with people who have been violent in their families, that's the conversation that's happening, right? Yeah. The question is not, are they being abusive? It's why?
1: Yeah. It sounds like she needs to get at with the help of a professional, what she's really feeling. Yeah. Now.
0: Yep. There's um, this concept. I can't remember if we've ever talked about this before, but someone um, I was at, it was actually when, when the body keeps the square came out, the first talk that Bessel van der Kolk did was at BU because that's where he was. And um, this was like, this must've been 2013 or 2014. And one of the questions that he got was, um, is there any kind of trauma that you can't recover from Because this conversation clinically is, is always like what, what things count as traumatic and what things don't, which by the way, like this whole conversation shows that that question is not the important one, you know, Mm -hmm. but so this person said, you know, what, is there any kind of trauma that you can't recover from? And he kind of like thought about it for a second and he's like, you know, women who have C-sections where the anesthesia doesn't work, they have a hard time. And then he was like, and people who become over-identified with their trauma, they don't heal at all. Wow. And wow. I remember being like, whoa, like both of those things, just like, geez, <laughs> yikes. But I think what he was saying, cause he didn't really elaborate that much. Um, but I think what he was saying was that like, if you take on your trauma as your identity, and then you try to heal. Healing causes you to throw your identity into question. So it becomes impossible. Uh-huh. So if you are over-identifying with your trauma and it's, and your abusers are the only characters in your life and right. your trauma is the only thing you've been through, you're not going to have a lot of forward motion because in order to move forward, you'd have to let go of yourself. Yeah. Which is possible, but probably unlikely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I see that a lot. Like, I think that we're getting this very, and this is one of the reasons I'm so like passionate about this work is because of some of the misunderstandings that, that happen. And one of them is that the fact that you've had trauma is the end of your story Mm -hmm. and it's the beginning. It's not the end. What are you going to do with it? Exactly. Where do you go from there? Right. 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 And that's true. If you've been a perpetrator of trauma or you've experienced it. I I used to work, I spent some time working with um, previous incarcerated gang members and they would, they would kind of always laugh at me because they would come in and they would say like, okay, I did this shock, right? I did this shocking thing. I did this shocking thing. And it was like, okay, and I'm not here to judge you. This is not the purpose of this. Right. (laughs) Let's think about why, where did that come from? Why did you do that thing? Mm -hmm. What did it feel like? Do you want to do it again? Right. Like what, you know, there's a lot and 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 what else right right it doesn't end there right so it doesn't
1: it doesn't end with the name calling it doesn't end with the although it could if you keep calling people names right you know it's (laughs) it's it's the beginning you're right it's a good way to put it
0: and I think like interestingly like we we stop thinking ourselves thinking of ourselves as growing when we like turn you know Eighteen or whatever, and that's ridiculous because we're growing all the time. But think about like if this was a kid lashing out at everyone that they were, that was around them, right? Yeah. The the lashing out is uncomfortable for the people around them, and it might even be dangerous. But again, it's not the point, right? It's what is the need behind the lashing, right? What are you not getting that's causing you to act out in this way? And I don't mean that as like a negative term it's or or like I don't mean to be like making her a child you know what I mean in a bad way but like what where's this impulse coming from that's what what
1: she needs to understand in in order to go forward yeah because in a child you can kind of excuse it but in in an adult you know it's once you start launching these grenades like you said earlier it's very hard to repair that
0: and i will tell you from the person who sits on the other side of the computer and and listens to this a lot i'm not even i'm not even a a a, a player in the game yet right so it's not being launched at me i have a hard time yeah because it's um you kind of have to, you kind of brace against all of the language and this is my abuser and this person's a an narcissist, and this is, this and this is that it's, it's hard to walk through that and find the source because the person doesn't want you to find it. Right. And so they will, they will throw darts at you and it's like, okay, can we be done with the darts? Can we get to some real stuff yet? Okay. Nope. More darts. Right. You know, <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. It feels like an, it feels like you're being attacked in a way. It feels yeah. like a, you know, anytime you witness that kind of anger that seems to be uh, coming out of nowhere, it's disturbing. It's yeah. you know, it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, when some we have people in our lives, you know, when they when they tell a story of, oh, I went to the store and I got this happened and this happened and then this person cut me off and then you know I I got in the line that was too long and it's like. Yep. Dude, calm down. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. Right, that's literally what you're putting out in the world. Right.
0: And what? Yeah. And and if if your whole life looks like that, the, then it's something that you're searching for on some level. And again, I don't mean to say that it's your fault if bad things happen to you and all that stuff. But like, if every day you leave your house and all you see is injustice, why are you so determined to see the world as an unjust place? Right and I don't mean the real injustices. I mean, like the, like you're talking about like the supermarket injustice and the car injustice and the driving injustice and the work injustice and the friend injustice. And then there's my father and see it like gains momentum. And
1: well, it's all you see. It's all, I mean, that's the lens through which you're, you're viewing the world, right? You know, what's right. the, if you met, if you meet three assholes before nine 30 in the morning, it's probably you that's the asshole. right? And that's the, that's very glib and I don't mean it that way, but you need to kind of think like, why am I perceiving the world this way? Right.
0: Because it's not that? like that. Right. What is that doing for me? Right. And it could be coming from a completely different place. That's really valid and important to understand. There was this New York times article about languishing. Did you see that? Oh, you know, someone put it on Facebook, but I didn't click on it. I meant to. It's super interesting. It's talking about like this, this, you know, everyone's explaining that 2021 just feels really weird and you, people like just can't really get motivated and we're, we're finding ourselves doing weird stuff and people are having weird dreams and like all this stuff. And the author was writing about this term languishing, which is not often talked about, which is kind of a middle space between like, it's got, it shares some things with depression, but it's not like full blown depression. It's just sort of like blah, basically. Yeah. Um, Why was I talking about how we experience the world? This is it, by the way, when your brain isn't working and people are like, do I have Alzheimer's disease or it's like, no, you've been going through a really stressful time for a really long time. Oh, it could be that this is sorry. It could be that um, she's (laughs) she needs an energy source and anger is a quick energy source. And it could be that she's feeling super demotivated and detached and a little bit almost like dissociated from her life because of everything that's been going on in 2020 and 2021, and also having the struggle of like trying to be an artist or whatever. And so she's leaning on anger because she's seeing that and she's not making this connect uh, consciously, um, but she's seeing that anger is energy. And so yep. it, it makes it possible for her to be creatively available. Yep sort of a, you know, sustainable resource. You can find all sorts of ways to be angry, you know, right. That's relevant and needs to be addressed. It's just, do you want to address it by burning your life down and ruining all your relationships, you know? Cause I think a lot of writers really, really got a good point that you might regret this. You got to think really hard. Not that it's not, the, sometimes there are relationships that need to be burned down, but careful with fire, you know, it spreads.
1: Well, and also, like you said in the beginning that, you know, if she's No, I lost my train of thought. She might be looking for some kind of engagement, right? You know, if she feels that she has not been heard or understood, right? It might be like the only way that I can be heard is to burn the fucking house down. Right? Totally. You know, so maybe this is giving her some kind of um, engagement with these people that she hasn't felt before.
0: Or yeah. And even like, even deeper, like uh, it's a possibility of engagement, but then it gets shut down. And so then it proves to her again, Oh, see, I'm never going to be heard. I'm never going to be seen. That's heartbreaking.
1: It is heartbreaking, but that's that like, and now I'm going to do the thing I said that we shouldn't do. Like it's that abandonment fear of abandonment thing. I'm going to push you and push you and push you and push you. And then you're going to walk away because I pushed you so much. Right. And then I'm going to be alone. Right
0: which is what I fear most. Right. And so I'm creating that for myself so that I can see that I can survive it. Right. Yeah. Right. No, that's, I, th- I don't think that's like a, a thing we shouldn't, why
1: is that a thing we shouldn't do? I shouldn't be saying that she has fear of abandonment. I shouldn't be diagnosing her. I, I don't know what's going on.
0: No, it's just a possibility. Like it's definitely, I mean, she's pushing everyone away. There's only, I mean, there's gotta be a reason why and that's potentially one of them, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I, if I were the letter writer, I would- strongly suggest, um, a professional help because it, yeah. it's going to turn to you next. Yeah. It sounds like it already has kind of started. Yes. So if you
0: know this person, she needs help. Yep. There's something going on. Yep. That's real. That needs to be addressed. And she's in a lot of pain. I don't think mm-hmm. people cause pain like this unless they're in pain. Right. But that being said, you deserve to not be a victim of this fire. And so, if you know, it sounds, I mean, the language is very careful. It sounds like there's a little bit of eggshell walking already, you know, careful with that. Yeah. (laughs) What
1: do you think? Sorry. No, don't be. It's just, you know, it's really hard to be on the receiving end of what you're doing to people. And it's okay to tell people how you feel. It's not okay to attack them.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a good thing. So the letter writer, it would be really great to look up um, nonviolent communication, um, which is sometimes called compassionate communication or collaborative communication. It's a kind of a mainstay in uh language and psychology it was developed by marshall rosenberg and he has a book that's just called nonviolent communication a language of life which is a really great starting place but it takes this idea that in any conversation each person has rights and needs and the best way to have a conversation is to make sure that those rights and needs are addressed and taken into account in the language that you're using Um, And so, again, though it is sometimes necessary to launch violent language on purpose at people, that's pretty rare. And I can assume that at least a handful of these times when she's been doing this with her friends and family, it it hasn't been. Um, So you can kind of look into that and change that within your own relationship. And also she might be able to figure out a way to communicate a little bit more effectively and actually be heard. Right. So, if she has a hurt that comes from her parents being divorced, or her um, her dad not supporting her in the way that she needed, could she communicate that in a way that might actually promote healing and harmony? And you know, because
1: I mean, ultimately, in the best case scenario, that's all you can do, right? Is is hope that you're heard, Mm -hmm. and then move forward. Yeah. You can't change the past. You can't change what happened.
0: Yeah. Right. Totally. And I, and I, I really want to like talk about this again. I know we've talked about this before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Here's the thing. Trauma is really cool. I think it's obviously, I think it's fascinating, right? I think it's endlessly fascinating because it's so fucking sneaky. And so what that means is that if you've got unresolved trauma, that is an issue, your brain, your behavior, and your body are going to let you know, You don't have to go searching for it. We're getting this idea from so many places that we have to. And it's so funny because like society and and clients will sometimes come in and they just take this stuff for granted. And I'm like, you know, that's not a thing. Like someone made that up on a goddamn medium article. This, this, I was researching this morning, the distinction between capital T and lowercase T drama. And I was like, where the hell did that come from? Nowhere. Yeah. It came from nowhere. It's not a thing. Yeah. I mean, it is a thing. Cause we're all talking about it and using it to shame each other, but <laughs> it's not a thing that comes from a place that's worth like, you know what I mean? Um, so this that happens idea is a lot. I'm sorry.
1: That happened. Um, I just have to interject for one second oh, go for Um it. because all of my information comes from television these days, but <laughs> you know, the idea, have you heard of parental alienation syndrome? No, that, that came out and my husband was, um, Involved in a high-conflict divorce, and um, that that term was thrown around a lot. Parental alienation syndrome, and when you do the research, it came out in the Woody Allen um, special on on HBO. It's basically like rooted in nothing. Yeah. But people like today are still throwing that term around and using it in court cases. Right. You know, (laughs) and it's like we don't
0: even know what we're saying. Right. Anyway, sorry, made me. Think no, that. but that's that's so important because then sometimes this happens all the time. I'm like, oh shit, I don't know about that. Like, I got to get you know. I think I have my hand on the research, but like, well, let me go check. And then I'm like, oh, this is not a thing. Some asshole made this up, posted it on fucking Instagram, and now every single person is using it to hurt other people or shame exactly. Themselves. Right. No, what, what are we even talking about? You know. Yeah, it's it's so like this idea, and this is coming from you know people are super interested in in ayahuasca and and using that as a way to get access to memories that to unlock memories you don't need to unlock memories sometimes that's traumatic and also there's tons of cases of people who can't and still heal right, right. like who physically biologically cannot access specific memories and they heal anyway this idea, yeah. though it's popular on social media, that you have to go mining through your past to find your trauma is false. So stop it. So cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> cut it in your ass. Ask yourself why you're doing that. That's the real question. There's always something real and true. You know what I mean? It's just not sometimes not what we think it is. That's huge because that, yeah. uh, that's coming out
1: a lot that people are uncovering things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that is a thing that happens sometimes like people, there are lots of experience, cases and stuff and research on people who like they have a repressed memory that pops up in a situation. That's a thing. And usually what's happening again, if we can like trust the brain, which I think we should, because it's brilliant. It's smarter than us. It's coming up because it sees an opportunity. Doesn't mean it's a convenient one, but it's, it's coming up because it's, it sees an opportunity and it needs to, if it doesn't need to, it won't. The bigger question, the more important question is like, what does your life look like right now? And what do you want it to look like? And how deep is that chasm between those two points? And how can you build a bridge from point A to point B? Not that there's not a place for going back and looking at memories that you do remember. Anyway, memory is really complicated. Okay, so don't weaponize your trauma. It's not okay. That's violent and abusive. Don't do it coercive telling is when a victim enacts the trauma and turns the listener into a victim. And it's not okay. If someone's doing that to you, call them out on it. It's gone from being a conversation to a hostage situation. That's not okay. Um, Nonviolent communication can be a really helpful tool when you're trying to communicate something tricky and two people have opposing needs. And if we over identify with our trauma, we will not heal. That's all I have to say. Great. Great (laughs) points. Thank you. And thank you, letter writer. And good luck with this. This is tricky. And I, you know, I feel for you because now you have all this information, but you have to communicate this to a person who doesn't want to be told. I don't even know how you would start to negotiate that. Good question. Yeah. I think start with, you know, man, when you've talked before about your relationship with your father, it seems like he's been really important to you. Like, can we talk about how you're going to have this conversation? Cause I'm worried that, the result that you're going to get is not what you want long-term. Yeah. Maybe we can try to figure out a therapist you can talk to before you do this This It's a big decision, cutting your dad out and then try to talk about that. Good advice. Yeah. It's also not your path and not your, you know what I mean? Like it's not your responsibility. So if, if this person continues to not want to be heard and listened to by you, then that's, that's data for your file, you know? Okay. Tiny little joys. Da, da, da. It's hard to like switch from. I know. Fired up. Okay.
1: My tiny little joy is silly. Okay. That's good. Um, but remember how mom always used to say that if you see something at Costco, you have to buy it because if you go oh back, God, it I won't excited. be there anymore. <laughs> right?
0: Clearly I do remember. Yep.
1: <laughs> so I was at Costco uh, probably around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And I saw this uh, like washable sheepskin rug situation. Oh, cool! Which I wanted for um, I call it your room because it's the <laughs> guest room and it's where you'll be staying when you come visit for Max's room. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get this because it's I've been researching these online and this one's washable. So if Sadie barfs on it, I can just <laughs> throw it in the wash, and you know, it's um, it's a good price because it's a Costco. And it was one of those days at Costco where everyone had this rug in their cart. Like everyone you ran into like had picked up the same rug and you know was on my same wavelength. Oh, so I'm very happy with the purchase and uh, brought it home and put it next to my side of the bed for a little while just to kind of test it out. And <laughs> the rug is so slippery that. <laughs> You know, if you were running across the room for whatever reason and like, you know, landed on this rug, you would hurt yourself like you could wipe out. It's I have to be careful when I'm getting out of bed, Um, although it's in your room now. So you'll have to be careful. Um, Good to know going to file this away. (laughs) (laughs) Because your feet just kind of you wind up doing this like little dance, like every time you're on the rug, just because it's it's a slippery rug. So that always like kind of silently like made me giggle to myself every time it happened because I found it amusing. And then thinking that all those other people like went home with the same and are having the same experience. (laughs) And then recently I got online because I got an email from Costco and the rug was featured and Mm -hmm. all of the reviews say like, this is a great rug, but I I don't recommend putting it on like a high traffic area because it's so slippery.
0: (laughs) I was just going to say, we have to go find the, I'm sure that the reviews are hilarious.
1: They are hilarious. And it like confirmed like my, um, my experience with the rug and still kind of makes me laugh. And I sincerely hope no one's been hurt by this rug. I think we would hear about a lawsuit if there, if there was one, or there might be one pending, but, um, it just, I don't know. I get a kick out of it. It's It's my tiny little joy. And every You're time getting- I walk by it and look at it now, it just makes me giggle.
0: You're going to get one of those, like, um, notifications that there's been like a class action suit and now you're going to get 62 cents in the mail because right Costco broke some people's hips with these with
1: <laughs> slippery rugs where there's rug. a recall
0: you have to send it back right. or they'll come pick it up <laughs> that's so funny yeah staying upright is is a task <laughs> you
1: know? it can be challenging at times especially when you're tired you know when you're going to bed or you're getting out of bed in the morning It's um it, it can be, it can be
0: challenging. Oh my God. That's so funny. I don't have to remember this. Yep. You should put like I'll a little, you, one. you should put a little camera so you can see if Sadie ever like runs in there and like flips <laughs> on it. Falls.
1: The down. room, your room is not big enough that you can really like get any um, momentum.
0: <laughs> It'd be so perfect. I think it'll though, be okay. Because- It'd be like, you know, you're only running across the room in, like, an emergency situation, you know. (laughs) So it'll be like, the house is on fire. And and you broke your wrist.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks, Costco. (laughs) It was a steal. (laughs) So wrong.
0: (laughs) Funny, though. My, like, stomach hurts from laughing. That's so funny. Okay. You have to tell me if I did mine already. Cause I know I talked to you about it, but I don't think I talked about it here. Okay. Which is this podcast that Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue are doing.
1: No, you haven't talked about it here and I'm, I love
0: it. So thank you. Oh, you started it. Yep. Isn't it delightful? Yes. Um, so Phil Donahue, you remember he's like 85. I know which is crazy. Um, from daytime TV, afternoon TV, he was like opposite Oprah, wasn't he? He was yeah, part of that talk show. Yeah. yep,
1: Genre. Yeah.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm. And he has been married to Marlo Thomas forever. And they have a podcast that's called double date where they talk to famous folks about their relationships. And, um, so they've had, um, Kelly Ripa. I haven't listened to this one yet. Oops. I was trying to get the, who have they had on? They had um Ray Romano um, and his dance. wife. Yeah, Ray Romano and his wife, Ted Danson and Mary Steenberger. Yep.
1: Yeah, they had Sting and Trudy yep. Styler. And um Viola Davis and her husband's an yep. actor, also yep, yep, yep. Julian. I can't remember his name. And the tennis player, the super Oh yeah.
0: Um, uh, John, McEnroe. McEnroe John McEnroe and, and Patty Smith. Yeah, Patty Smith. Yeah. Yep. They were hilarious. And they just like I mean, they both have great voices and they're both like from, I don't know, there's some, they're from a long time ago in a way. And so it feels like reconnecting with like the world before right now, which is kind of a shit show, you know? Um, So it's very like grounding in that way, but they're also just talking about like what, and everyone they've had on there. I don't know how, I don't know if it's just their skill as interviewers, but everyone has just been like super open about their marriage and what went wrong and what they expected and what things they do well and where they still struggle as people that have been together for like 35 years. And it's um it's just delightful.
1: It is delightful. I I absolutely love it. And um yeah, it's you know long term marriages, relationships. And um people are just completely honest and authentic. Yep. And uh Marlo Thomas just has the most fantastic voice. He does. So does he I yeah, he does. He does. It yeah. is. It's, uh, it's lovely.
0: Every time I see it like pop up at the notification that there's a new episode, I'm like, oh yeah, I can't, you know, like <laughs> I'm so, and I love podcasts. So it's like, it's, I'm excited about lots of different ones, but this one is just, I don't know. It's just delightful. It is. It's it good. Listen to it. And there's a lot of good, I think, like information and it's good perspective to have, you know, Yeah. if, if you're, single if you're not in a relationship if you're in a relationship if you're in a long-term relationship like it's just it's just good
1: it is good it kind of like um you know uh, shines a light on like the the work that goes into a relationship and that it's not you know yeah it's not the prince charming cinderella like fairy tale stuff it's uh
0: it's work and And i love that they're that they again like i don't know how they got people to be this honest but like everyone is um, so candid about what they still struggle with. Yeah. Like we have this idea that like, once you're married for a certain amount of time, it's just like, you know, smooth sailing and it's like, no, we still fight about this. Or I really hate it when she does this or, you know, and it's, none of it is like bad. You know what I mean? Like in a negative, you don't get the sense that like all these people are on the rocks and this is, you know, right. Scary to listen to. It's just like, well, here's what comes up and here's what we do about it when that does happen. And like, Here's what we struggle with. It's just, it's, I love it.
1: Yeah, I do too. Thank you for finding it and
0: telling me about it. It's, I think I found, it was like randomly, I almost didn't listen to it because it was like, you know, I usually just listen to like murder podcasts, <laughs> Brene Brown. <laughs> right. Remember when people used to be like worried about like what, you know, what would somebody think if they found my Google history or whatever? Yeah. I'm like, what kind of person would you construct if you, if you looked at the podcast I listened to on any given day? I know I know.
1: <laughs> or what you watch on Netflix or what you yeah, it's, right. Like it's it'd be a pretty funny. interesting picture totally. It <laughs> contain multitudes.
0: Yeah. but um but yeah, it was it was like advertised on some murder podcast I was listening to and I was like, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> They're great. They're great. I love it. It's also really good like well produced and so it goes really fast and there's kind of great music and it's just it's great. It feels a little bit like a throwback, you know. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. So we, this is episode 15. We want to, at some point do a question and answer episode. So if you have specific, like, if you don't want to share a story, but you have questions for us, let us know by messaging us on Instagram or, um, emailing us at the traumatapes at gmail.com. Um, I said this last week, but there is another email address trauma tapes at gmail.com because people are emailing it and not getting a bounce back. I don't think anyone's there, but That just it's the trauma tapes at gmail.com. I think that's all. All Right. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
1: you. Bye
0: Bye bye.